like some of the doors that have made, like there's like cleaning supplies in here. So I put something on there so she yeah. can't easily, and like on her bedroom door, I've got like a childproof um, thing on the knob. But it, it's more like for a toddler, I guess. Well, she is incredibly active. Like she yeah. has great yeah. motor skills. Yes. No, that's the thing. Like, yeah, and she's she just always been like, stop. I mean, she's always been like this. So the diagnosis hasn't impacted that. No. That does, that's no. not part of it. No. Yeah. No. It took her a while because she didn't, she had a gait trainer yeah. for about a year, year, year and a half. Yeah. Um, to help with walking. But she, so she didn't start walking independently until five, five and a half. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so she's yeah. only been, you know, she's got a brand truly new running around walking for Two, three years. You know, yeah. For just a couple she's years. She's got a brand new world to explore. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's a cloudy, somewhat chilly yeah, day in Noblesville, Indiana, where Josh and I are actually starting the day meeting this very active and fun-loving little girl in a family that was very welcoming and wonderfully authentic. I'm Seth Carnell, and this is the Go Shout Love podcast. This month, we are featuring three kids who all share the same Coffin-Cyrus syndrome diagnosis. If you've listened to the past two episodes, you've already met Stella and Oren, and if you haven't, listen to this one first, head back, and hear those episodes. They are great families with great, insightful conversations. Ruby is eight years old and is described as sassy, sweet, and kind. All of that was on display when we had the privilege to meet her in late November. Let's just say there is a ball pit in her room and watching her play with her brother Wesley and sister Willow, along with the rest of her family members, was incredible. We are very excited to share this episode with you for many reasons, one of which is the story of Ruby's medical journey from birth to her diagnosis and how she is doing on an everyday basis. Another reason is the open and honest conversation that we were very grateful to have with her parents, Eric and Julia, who help us cover the topic of divorce in a way that was very easy to listen to and engage with. Divorce isn't easy, and they graciously share with us how they co-parent Ruby in general, but also how they navigate her diagnosis and the challenges that exist with that. One thing is evident, Ruby is deeply loved by all. Leading this conversation is Josh Veach, our executive director of Go Shout Love. You will hear Ruby in the background playing hide and seek and another game that I called Handing Random Things to Josh. I mean, she's incredibly strong. I feel like for how little she is. Yeah, trying to hold her down for yeah. oh, man. IVs or like whatever. Blood work like, that's, or you know, diaper that's changes. Yeah, you know, she's, yeah. She's, Especially, yeah. I'm assuming, like, the IVs and the, like, different tests. The dentist you, is difficult. When you know it's, like, <laughs> yeah. stress-inducing, pain-inducing, yeah. and right. yet you know it's necessary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, she had gotten to a point where she was, you know, if a doctor walked in or even a nurse, if there's somebody in, that looked like they had scrubs on, like, she knew and she would just start she flipping out. She knew it was coming. Yeah. Um, but she's gotten better now, I think, especially with the ABA school and everything. Yeah. Like they've helped to desensitize some of that stuff. That yeah. she'll go to the doctor's office now and let them, you know, check her heart. And yeah, we and had an echo yesterday. Um, yeah, we had an echo in her annual cardiology appointment yesterday, and which is just super stressful because those appointments in the past have just we've walked into it thinking that everything's good because like clinically she looks fine, but. Like, so she has mitral valve stenosis in addition to, so Coffin-Cyrus syndrome kind of has this like whole host of other um, like body system deficiencies. So for Ruby, she has um, 
the gene that's affected in her, it's SM SMARCE1, which is like 3% of the population that have Coffin-Syre syndrome have that same gene affected. So she's like the rarest of the rare. So cardiology or, you know, heart issues are what kind of go along with that. So she's had a few open heart surgeries. She's had her mitral valve re repaired. So yesterday was Replaced. just kind of stressful <laughs> because it's just, we've gone into appointments thinking everything is good and functioning well, and it's not. And then it turns into like, we have to have surgery again. And it just, it makes, I don't know, with all of her other health issues, it just makes it more complicated. Yeah. So luckily everything so the, yesterday went well. The tests are showing things that haven't shown symptoms yet on the outside. Right. Yeah. 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 Typic cause, yeah. Typically it's like, she should be like really low energy, really lethargic. And we've had that in the past where she has been acting perfectly normal and active like this, but her mitral valve isn't functioning properly. Mm -hmm. But you got good news yesterday. Yes, everything good. is great. Yeah, That's so um, so we go back in a year. And to have for us to have an appointment that we'd go to once a year is like a huge deal because we were going like every three months. And a lot of her specialties, because we see cardiology, we see endocrinology, we see nephrology, we see genetics, we see hematology. We see pretty, I think we see everybody except for pulmonology, to be honest with you, all the specialties. Um, and, and we, there was a point where we were going like every three months. So that's yeah. a lot to like yeah. manage, yeah. you know? Pretty much from birth. Cause I mean, it was as soon as, you know, we, when she was born, they let us see her for a couple minutes. And then they were like, we got to take her over to the NICU. And they started just running, you know, gamuts of tests. Yeah. And then it was every single day that we were sitting in the hospital. Cause she was in for two, <laughs> she was at the, the hospital that we had her for a week. Um, she was in the NICU there for a week, and then they transferred her to the um, women's hospital. Thank you. Had a lot more specialties and things like that. Um, they transferred her down there for another couple weeks until she was big enough to go home. But um, but it was every day they'd walk in and be like, "So we need to talk about this." <laughs> and it's like layers of an onion type. Yeah, thing. yeah. So it was literally each day was was passing by, and then so it was like, "So we're going to call in this specialty, and right. then we're going to call in this specialty," and so that she had. Yeah, by the time we were we were done with it, within that first six months, we had almost every single yeah. specialty that there was out there. Which was a lot, but in hindsight, looking back, I'm just so grateful that we had such a good medical team that thought to do that because we've talked to other families that have this diagnosis that their kids are like 15, 16 years old and they're just now finding out that this is what's going on. Yeah. Because they weren't as they didn't, they, curious up front. Or maybe they just didn't have, like we were very lucky that we had, as soon as she was born, there was a neonatologist that was like, uh, there's just like enough things that are wrong, you know, quote unquote wrong or off that um, we're going to call in a geneticist and we're going to have him come down and take a look at her. And I remember he came down, I'm like, I had a C-section, so I'm still sitting in the hospital bed. Like this was like, what, day yeah, three, like, two, yeah, three? Two, three, it was right And he walked there. in, it was like six o'clock in the morning and he walks in and he goes, he introduced himself and he said, I'm gonna run some blood tests. I think she has coffin Cyrus syndrome. And I said, well, how do you spell that? And he goes, don't Google it. And then he left. <laughs> yeah. And this was day three or four. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So when we had gone into, we had gone into having her knowing that there was something was not right. Originally they told us that um, she maybe had like a hole in her heart and she was gonna have to have surgery right away, you know, within the first few months. And like, that was that was it. Like, and that we, was, you, you got that news right after like, birth or like even during the ultrasound? Weeks. Yeah, okay. yeah. They sent me down to go get um, like a more intensive ultrasound at 36 weeks. And that's what they said. 
And they were like, we're gonna test for Down syndrome. We're gonna do all this blood work just because she was like, she was measuring small because she was only three pounds when she was born. Mm. So um, it turned into, we have kind of mentally prepared ourselves for like, okay, we're gonna need to have a heart surgery and then everything's gonna be normal and fine. And then it started, like you said, like the layers of an onion, like it started like unraveling that it's like, it's not that at all. Like they said she had ASD canal defect and that wasn't it at all. It turned to like all these other things. And, and that's what, yeah, it was. And it was very, it was confusing. Yeah. And I remember it, being. It was like, it was essentially, they told us, you know, because of this ultrasound, they were like, most babies that have this defect have Down syndrome. Right. Like it was kind of this telltale sign that they were like, so we had to then cope with that of like, okay, right. like we're going to have, you know, this little heart defect, not that big of a deal, you know, potentially Down syndrome, like, all right, like, you know no big deal. Like, let's, you know, we'll move forward. And then she came out and then it was like, they were like, she definitely doesn't have Down syndrome. Like, and so it was like, okay. And then they're like, this heart thing that we thought that she had, it's not really that big of a deal, no big deal. And we were like, okay, well, great. And then, yeah, then it was just like day after day, it was like, so she doesn't have Down syndrome, but yeah. now she has this other thing that we could have never even known about. So how did they that initial, you said it was the geneticist that that was there. Yeah, that was what he thought okay. she had. And it took three months to get the test results back. Cause I guess there's like one lab in Chicago that you can send wow. this test to that does it. And you have to know, like you have to be looking for this specific set of genes. And I think that's why so many other families don't get that diagnosis because they haven't unfortunately been lucky enough to have a doctor that has is looking for it. Yeah, so it's not what like a regular, yeah. a, a typical, uh, genetics test. Right. If you just did like a genetic not, panel, would not pick that up. I see. Yeah. Like you when you do her, her, her genetics panel, I remember they told us like it looked fine. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so, um, I don't know if you noticed or not, but she doesn't have a nail on her pinky fingers. So that's usually like the, the main marker. Cause they oh. also have called it fifth digit syndrome. So like on your toes or on your fingers, that fifth digit usually doesn't yeah. have a nail and her nails are very like sparse. I think we've had to cut her toenails like three times in her life and she's eight years yeah. old. Wow. Um, yeah. nails nails are are different. Like, yeah. Um, so that was, I think what tipped him off, but then there were just enough other things. Yeah. So we just, like I said, we're lucky. What does she want? We were just lucky enough to, to have somebody like, I don't know, in our corner that knew what to look for. Yeah. So and the, I think the, whatever the neonatologist yeah. that was there, I mean, she kind of told us, she's like, like you get five things like that are off. abnormal yeah. things before they call in a geneticist. And so yeah. it was like, they basically like every baby that comes out, they look and it's like, oh, if you have, you, you have know, something that's here, you, yeah. have, you have like five things that like can be off and you can not really have a syndrome. But they're like, once you get past five, then they're like, we gotta call somebody yeah. in. And so that's when, when yeah. they called him in. And she it was, was comforting like, to us to know that yeah. like, and she said, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of babies down there in the, in the nursery that they may have something that maybe their families won't find out until they're 20 years old. Right. Like you're lucky enough to know now and be on top of things. So I think when I look back on it, I'm just so grateful for that. Yeah. yeah. So I think it gets still hard to take on in the moment, yes, but for sure. there's this yeah. and silver I, lining yes. of, okay, we at least have some clarity on where to go from here. Right. And, and I remember on. being, it was difficult just from my perspective, because it's like, I had just had a C-section. So I'm on one side of the hospital, Ruby's on the other side of the hospital, the NICU, and Eric's running back and forth. I mean, he's, 
So he's going over there, and I feel like they were giving you the information about her over in the NICU. So yeah. then you're coming back and trying to relay the information to me, and we're, like, having people draw us pictures to, like, understand. Like, it was just because things were constantly changing yeah. within, like, hours. They were just finding. And we weren't allowed to hold her. Right. And then, yeah. And then that once she got. She had know, an NG. So she had an NG initially. Um when she was born because she wasn't feeding. So feeding difficulties are a thing with coffin Cyrus syndrome. She has a G-tube now. She got that at six three, months. Three, well, no, it was, yeah, six months, you're right. It was six months. It was six months, yeah. Which that, that was, uh, is she upstairs? Because they didn't even want to do that. Because originally. she was so little. The sir, that, whole, that whole encounter was crazy. So we had gone to, we went to go see the surgeon to go um, talk about doing a G-tube. And she wasn't even six pounds yet. She was just shy of six pounds at six months. Mm. So the surgeon was like, I don't operate on babies less than, less than six months old for a G-tube, I just don't. But our geneticist basically called in a favor and said, you have to do this. Huh. He said, it's gonna be a long time before she gets to that six pounds, so you yeah. have to, because she doesn't grow very quickly. So from that would, there- That would be scary. So from there, we went, from that appointment, we went to an ultrasound. It's like, we'd, it was one of those things where we had like a full day of all these like specialty appointments. We went to go do an ultrasound for hematology because when she was born, they found all these calcified blood clots. So um, she has I a blood clot. The, she had a... Um, and she had a hernia. She had a hernia right. in her diaphragm. Right. So yeah, they were scanning all over to see if things had closed up because they right. want to make sure that hernia had closed up. Right. But it was one of those, yeah, they, the, the tech, yeah. <laughs> the tech did, did the ultrasound and she's like, I'll be right back. So she left the room and we we're sitting there like, okay, cool. And she came back again with another person, like her supervisor. They did some more ultrasound and then they both left. They were like, we'll be back. And they we both just, left. We and just we're looked just at each other like, like, what's going on? This what? is not okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Obviously they're not telling us something. Yeah. And then, so then they brought in we an just actual got a vibe. doctor yeah. then yeah. to come in and then did another, continued with the ultrasound and was like, okay, so we need to talk about this. They were like, we found this stenosis in her. Um, uh, uh, she had pyloric stenosis. Yeah. So basically there was like a piece of like, Muscle. muscle covering her stomach so that was also part of why like so she, she was, wasn't she was throwing she, up almost every single yeah. feed because oh. yeah. the 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 you know formula that we were putting in yeah. just wasn't able to get into her stomach it yeah. was just blocked by all that yeah. muscle tissue and everything so that's like an emergent thing like yeah. you they go were right like, into surgery yeah they that. were like we can't send you home like yeah. you hit this has to be yeah. addressed yeah so they were like well since we have to do this surgery on this anyways they're like let's put the g-tube well in. G yeah. in so we had left that appointment thinking like okay we're not going to do the g-tube right now because she's not big enough to then going back upstairs we went back to into the that surgery same office, to the same doctor because like, okay. otherwise like she literally can't live she right. can't yeah. get nutrients right. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and this had been going on for 6 months and they were yeah. just treating her for they like acid reflux yeah, yeah. Hmm. and it's just it's odd because that is typically in boys yeah and usually they find it like right Super at early. birth yeah. So, so they weren't even looking for it right. because it wasn't yeah. something statistically that she right. normally would have had anyways right. yeah so it was just one of those things that they just happened to find when they were doing this random ultrasound, looking at her stomach and stuff, and they were like, oh, uh, whoops. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a big find. That's yeah. important. Fix this down. Yeah. So for years, whenever I would go to a doctor's appointment, I would have an overnight bag in my car. Cause I just, from that, I was always like, I might not, we might not come home tonight because who knows? Cause they were constantly just finding things. 
Yeah. You know, it was, yeah, mm. it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, gotten she, a little better, but yeah. When she was born, so we, we spent a week, you know, at, in the NICU mm -hmm. um, in Carmel, and then they transferred us down downtown to the women's hospital where she was there for two weeks. And at that point too, that the women's hospital, you're not allowed to stay. So it's, you know, you come, you can spend as long as you want during the day, but then you have to leave. Like you're oh, not man. allowed to stay there because it's just this gigantic yeah. room full of babies. And so parents can go there and you can sit, you have your own little tiny space. Yeah. And, you can, and it's very, you know, it's very like while. overstimulating because you, yeah. there's, there's just, Beeps going everywhere. Yeah, and alarms, and it is, and it's dark and kind of sad, and it's sad to walk. It's like you walk through this section of like all these babies, and there's nobody there with them. Mm -hmm. So it's like you feel like you do have to stay all day long because, yeah. and I wanted to go stay with all the other babies yeah. <laughs> because they're you know, but it's and it's just yeah, it was, it was just kind of a new experience every day, just trying to, trying to figure out what was going on and, you know, take it all in. But well, we were lucky enough to only be there for two weeks. Right. I mean, there yeah. was yeah. Know, a couple of kids that had been there for months. Yeah. That were, yeah. So. so between NICU and then the women's hospital, how long until she actually got to come home? So that was Thanksgiving. We came home the day before Thanksgiving and yeah. she was born November 4th, so like three weeks. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was like yeah. right so for, three I mean, weeks. Really, for all the complications and yeah. Yeah. all those layers, that's yeah. actually, yeah. I mean, I, I know that but it was, feels like eternity in the moment. <laughs> right, but, yeah. right. Yeah. But it was going through... You know, I think just normal parents, like, you know, you kind of get that, you're letting me after like three days, they let you take this baby home. Right. And you're like, now I have to take this baby home. Well, like, now I need to know. You have an older child. So you're <laughs> right. like, right. at least you have some right. level of yeah. parenting knowledge. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but like, if that's then, your first. But with her, she had, um, she had the NG at that point. And they so basically we, yeah. did a little school like there at the NICU. They're like, okay, here's how you change it. You're going to take this out of her nose and everything. And then. Here's your own stethoscope to take home so that you can make sure it doesn't go into her lungs because if you flood her lungs with with food, then she's gonna die. <laughs> yeah. So they're yeah. like, so you gotta make sure it's in her belly and they help you like learn how to check to make sure that you get it in the right spot yeah. and all of that stuff. And it was just kind of And I like, remember being terrified and like making okay. you do that because I was so terrified. <laughs> sure. But I'm a nurse now, so what's the irony of that? <laughs> yeah. But you weren't a nurse then. <laughs> no. Right. Right. So it's just, I mean, well, and I mean, because of her, like, that's why I went back to school to become a nurse. I just graduated last December. But it's like funny how looking back on things that it's like I was I was terrified to do a lot of stuff. Sure. You know, so it's like because yeah. I did the first you, G2 yeah, change. You, yeah. And I had and, you do a lot of it because I was so scared. And it's just funny. But I, I think just from uh, I was a lifeguard for a long time, but I've also managed pools and I've been around a lot of just emergency situations and. So none of that stuff has ever bothered me, bodily fluids or anything yeah. like that. So, you know, I didn't have any problems. I don't think doing that, but it is, it's just kind of this shock to you that they're like, okay, here's how you do all this stuff. Like, go home, call us if you need us. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you go home. You're like, uh, and she was so tiny. Okay. Like she had just yeah, I mean, met, she had just met the weight requirement to be able to go into the yeah, car seat to go home. They had to, she had to be four That's pounds. That's what we were waiting on. Like, we, I think they would yeah. have let us go home a little earlier. Cause I felt like they were confident and like, our abilities to go home and take care of her. They were probably more confident than you were. Right. Just oh, because I think you're so. like yeah. starting from scratch. For sure. And, yeah. 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 Oh yeah. That sounds, that sounds awful. Yeah. Um, so she, so home after about three to four weeks mm -hmm. and then in about six months is when you had the surgery and the G2 placement. Right. What's life been, what's her 
medical journey been like since then? Um, I think after that, I mean, it was like that finally helped get a lot of the reflux stuff right. taken care of. So there was still some right. some issues with that. We saw a lot of GI stuff. We started going down to Cincinnati for GI yeah. um, to help with just nutrition. I mean, her calorie intake is higher than some adults yeah. that she gets just because she metabolizes so fast. She mm. doesn't get any weight. And so, um, so we did a lot of I think a, a, it seemed like a lot of that time was spent a lot on just food, just nutrition. Right. Yeah. Um, and just following and up with the, all, follow, I mean, yeah, we had a lot of follow-ups follow follow with specialists. We were doing um, all the therapies, OT, um, PT, um, like behavior, recreation therapy. Yeah. Like we were doing all those therapies. Um, this is the other nice thing about Peyton Manning <laughs> um, Hospital was that, I mean, from day one, they, they assigned us a caseworker. They were like, here's everything you need to fill out. Like, you're going to want to get her on the waiver for Indiana. Like, here's all of this stuff. And so um, so that way we could have, you know, in-home, we had some in-home therapy sessions, you know, multiple times a week. And so um, so we had some really good resources um, that were very, very helpful. And I think, again, I think there's a lot of parents that don't have that. Um, where they have to spend where they hours have to and just, hours hunting, just researching and figuring yeah. out like what do we do? Um, we left the hospital with a lot of a lot of information mm -hmm. um, and a lot of help that they were like, we're gonna fill all this stuff out. Like, here's what we're gonna do um, to get you guys set up. But yeah, so we had a lot of in-home therapies uh, with physical therapy and OT and feeding. Um, you know, so um, so yeah, and just a lot of follow-up appointments just to make sure that things weren't getting worse in any of those areas. Yeah. Um, so it was a lot of time, I think, spent on that, um, on her nutrition and stuff and make sure that she was, we were getting the mixture of food right so that she was keeping it down so that she wasn't, you know, throwing yeah. it up constantly. Yeah. We had and, like, we had years of just like cyclonic vomiting yeah. and nobody could figure out why. And then all of a sudden it just stopped. Yeah. I mean, we were, yeah, we were traveling to Cincinnati to see doctors and then seeing doctors here and, um, changing her changing her food i think that's been the biggest thing is we kind of have we had a nutritionist in cincinnati that helped us kind of formulate this um mixture it's it's almost like the consistency of peanut butter but like we we mix it up every morning and it's got um a uh it's like the base of it it's a product called nourish it's like a formula basically mm -hmm. um and then we mix it with like baby food and sugar and oatmeal and vegetable oil and um, it's just, it's thick and it kind of weight was heavy enough to keep, you know, to stay down in her stomach and it's got the calories she needs to, you know, be all over the place like she is. Yeah. But that has really been helpful. And then we have always been followed by cardiology, but she was, how old was she when we kind of first, things kind of first started getting intense? I want to say she was like three. Yeah, so we... Um, so that's when we found out that she had mitral valve stenosis. Um, so we and kind is of- that, Is that common Which you get with her? That, yeah. With and her diagnosis or is that it's, kind of an outlier? It's kind of an outlier. So mitral, again, mitral valve issues- usually typically something happen, for kids, right? Right. They typically happen in like the older population, like geriatrics. Um, so we could just continue to follow up with cardiology and they just kept watching it and watching it. Um, so we ended up, it first started, they wanted to do a heart cath to, because her, the, her, um, pulmonary pressures were extremely high. 
So they wanted to do a heart cast so they could make sure they were getting like, it wasn't just like, an echo isn't like the best tool to look at that. They actually need to be like up there with a catheter mm -hmm. to get a more accurate reading. So we did that. Basically the, the valve was just too thick. It's yeah. again, just like the stuff that she had with her stomach, yeah. that muscle wall was just way too thick. So it yeah. wasn't allowing the blood flow, you know, correctly because mm -hmm. it was just too thick. It wasn't, yeah. you know, and so. So yeah. we, yeah, we ended up doing that um, heart cath and normally that's like something you go do and then you go home, mm -hmm. but I don't know, I convinced the doctor to, can we just stay <laughs> just for one night just to make sure yeah. that everything's good with everything else she has going on. And um, she, when she came back from that procedure, her breathing was extremely erratic. It looked like she had like a tidal wave going up and down her chest. And we were like, something's not right. This is not normal. So and they kind of were just. And they like, were like, "Oh, it's fine. She's coming out of anesthesia. Yeah. Like sometimes, you know, your breathing can be weird coming off of that." And the nurses were like, "Oh yeah, like we'll just watch her." And as then, and I stayed. I think it was like around midnight. I was like, "You need to have the doctor come look at her. This is not okay." Um, so the doctor came up and took a look at her and sat down and she said, okay, I think we're going to take her to the ICU. He even said, like, ICU. typically you guys are not in the room while we're the, doing this. It was like, the scariest thing I've like, ever seen in my life. Yeah. She turned paper white. Yeah. I mean, we were both were just standing there sobbing. Like, we like, this is it. We're watching it happen. Mm. Like, we're watching, it, it was awful. Yeah. It was awful. And that was all triggered from the procedure? Just from yeah. the procedure. From, from her being under. Just the trauma. Yeah. Of, and then, yeah, her body just couldn't take, yeah. you know take that plus yeah. I think the I think the valve was in worse shape than what they had initially hmm. yeah. thought. So that was before the first open heart surgery. Yeah. Got it. That's okay. kind of but what triggered everything. But we yeah. also figured out too that she um her between the heart and everything she doesn't she then couldn't uh get the fluid off of her lungs. Yeah. So usually they hydrate yeah, she, you yeah, after those procedures right. and stuff like that. Well then all of that was building up on her lungs and she couldn't breathe. Right. Yeah. Um and so so then they they figured that out that she was that she wasn't clearing that yeah, her, she lung, pulmonary her lung edema. scans yeah, yeah i mean yeah. She, her her lung scans were just awful because they came right in they did a, a scan and then you could just see just them just full of fluid. Um, yeah. full of fluid yeah so they're like okay like so then they started you know getting her on the right drugs and everything and trying to get that all cleared off and everything and and so that's always been just a, a balancing act right. yeah um yeah. So that's so that's what triggered um, us talking to a heart surgeon, and he wanted. So he initially went into. He's like, I think I can just repair her valve. I think I can repair it, and that'll give us some time, because I think a lot of it is it. They want to wait until she's bigger, but some of the issue with that is she doesn't grow at a very fast rate at all, um, and she's failure to thrive is part of like her diagnosis. So, <laughs> so. Um, we went in for the repair and, um, you know, an open heart surgery is extremely stressful with all of, especially with all of her other things. Um, but they went in and he, you know, everything looked great and it was successful and, um, we made it a year. Yeah. It was like almost we, right out of We year. made it a year and we went back. Um, we were doing, we were doing echoes every three months and then at the year mark, it was, it's, it's back to not being good again. So we went in again and he said, I think I'm gonna try to repair it again. So we're like, okay. <laughs> so he went in and did the repair and we hadn't even left the hospital yet. They went in, so they do an echo right before you leave um, to discharge. And within what, a week, 
the, re yeah, the repair had, I mean, it wasn't working yeah. anymore. So then that's when it was like, okay, we need to replace this. Um, the problem, ma'am, you're such a daredevil, Ruby. The problem was um, that mitral valve, if it's replaced, it's usually in older adults and she's so tiny. So trying to find the right product to put right, in there right. um, took a while to figure out. And honestly, it's like with all this too, it's like waiting to have heart surgery. You would, you would really think that it was one of those things that they're like, okay, we're going to go right ahead and do this. I mean, they sent us home and I think it was weeks before we got the surgery scheduled. Oh, so it's yeah. just, just the waiting yeah. was yeah. terrifying. Yeah. yeah. And during that time, it was like you said, normally when she has, when she's having issues, then she, you know, she's just lethargic. So I have, you know, pictures and stuff of her that week of just, she was laying on all the floor. day, just laying on the floor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she'd have an, an iPad or whatever and, you know, sitting next to her to kind of be like listening to some program, but she'd just be laying on the floor the, yeah. the entire time. Just no energy. Yeah. But I mean, we just had another, herself. one of those surgeries, they, after they knew that she um, didn't clear stuff off of her lungs very well, they, um, they ended up, you know, again, they always, you know, base things off of her size and everything like that. But um, there was one night I was with her, mm -hmm. and and so we always did the, you know, um, we'd switch off in the mornings, um, so the other person could go home and sleep. And I I was there the one night, and she just like was just staring off into space, and her eyes were just sunken in like they had way overly dehydrated her they'd given her too much lasik so they yeah. so all the fluid so she just oh. just came off because i remember yeah. i walked in and i'm like i was sitting there i was what like what is I was happening like, she looks I was like, horrible something's not right like yeah. she just and i again I, i've got pictures of it that she just she doesn't even look like the same kid mm. yeah. and you know it was again just having to like tell them like hey something is not right like yeah. you need to check this like she is this is not how she normally looks like yeah. we need to figure this out and yeah, if anything, like, I feel oh, like, like she we've is had to really advocate way for dehydrated. Her. Yeah. yeah. So they fully dehydrated her. So then they had to like, but then it was just this constant balance because they're like, she can't have this fluid on her lungs, but we can't dehydrate her. So it's like this constant yeah. balance, like of the doctors trying to figure out the right combination. So every yeah. single time that we've gone in for these surgeries, it's been like, okay, listen, like here are all the things that we need to look for because she, you know, doesn't react the same as normal kids do. Um, you know, even with you know, when she would come out of surgery, they'd always keep her sedated for a couple of days, usually yeah. because they, she had all these tubes Just and everything yeah. and she had a chest tube in and everything. And so, um, you know, they didn't want her awake to be able to pull on all that stuff. Um, the one surgery that she had, I think after the valve replacement, right. She had the pacemaker in. Yes. Um, because it wouldn't, her heart wouldn't stay. So sometimes the pacemaker would have to to kick in. Um, and so, um, but, um, yeah, but she, it was just this. So she would wake up sooner off of that, off of each medicine that they would try to keep her sedated. She'd start waking up. Her body was 15 to half an hour earlier to it, yeah. before her, her next round of, of, you know, medicine. And so it was just like, she just burns off this medicine so fast. It seems like, yeah. but, um, she just doesn't react yeah. like the typical kid would, um, you know, for whatever reason. So it's just been this constant kind of, you know, working through with the doctors every yeah. time of yeah. like, 
here's what's happened in the past. Like, make yeah, sure you need like, to listen to us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, watch yeah, we know we're better than you do, so you need to listen to us. The, yeah, we know what the chart says, but right? like, yeah. here's what has actually happened, and um, yeah. So it's just always been interesting every time we go in for one of those. But yeah. the worst one, though, I mean, it was this last time again. She she had had the valve replacement, and she went in for. Um, you know, she seemed fine to us, but she went in for that, um, that routine echo. scan yeah. echo and everything. And he was like, mm, this isn't good. Like she, that was about a year and a half ago. Yeah. That was our last like cardiac procedure. Yeah. And he was like, I'm surprised that she's as active as she is. Cause she was like, this is, she's like back down, you know, her pressures are back to, you know, where they were pre-surgery. Like he's like, this is the valve wasn't just wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing. Um, and, um, and again, we were at Peyton Manning hospital and they, at that point said, we don't feel comfortable going in and doing this again, that she's potentially going to need a different valve. Um, we don't like, yeah, I mean, you know, we re we, it kind maybe of, it can be repaired. Like yeah. we, they didn't know. Yeah. And they were just like, we're not equipped yeah. to handle this anymore. Like you're gonna have to go to a different hospital you know, and recommended that we go down to Riley, um, where they had more qualified, you know, surgeons and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and so, but they even told us, they were like, she potentially, like, if this isn't going to work, you know, she may need a heart transplant. Yeah. But then they also and said, they but, us, but with a heart transplant, that might not, she might not be a candidate because of all of her other yeah. issues. So I think the words he used were, so you guys might need to make some tough decisions. Yeah. And it's like, as a parent to hear that is <laughs> horrible. Um, yeah. It was basically like them telling us that she wasn't worth spending a heart, you know, on. So, so I think that was probably the hardest, one of the hardest calls. Yeah. Amongst all this stuff. I mean, we right. had gone through a lot of things. Uh, but that was probably one of the worst. Yeah. But yeah, we went in and they, um, the, the cardiologist here um, at Riley, he went in and um, he said, you know, I think I can go in with the catheter and, um, cause the main issue with this, with this last time was the leaflets on her valve were like, they were almost like they were stuck, they weren't moving. So he said, I think I can go in with a balloon catheter and just use the balloon to like, open up and see if maybe that kind of gets it to start working and it did so we were so we were really 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 pleased with that it, it turned out good and you know but we still like, like I told you it's like we we every time we go into these cardiology appointments it's just like You're kind of bracing yourself yeah for, it's like yeah. we have PTSD from sure. appointments yeah. because you just don't ever know what it's because you know she's active and doing fine and then they tell you something different. But that's that's the most challenging part of her prognosis moving forward is how how well is that valve going right. to continue to right. function yeah. and yeah. Get Everything rid of else is manageable. Everything yeah. else has been manageable, but that has definitely been the most difficult part of her medical journey. I mean, you know, she, she wears glasses, she's got hearing loss. Like that's no big deal, you know? Yeah. She has a G-tube, she doesn't eat orally. Yeah. That's no big deal. And she's communicating yeah, really well. Yeah, she doesn't with... talk, but she can communicate with sign language, with sign language yeah. and she's got her device. And like, those are all things that are like, you know, in the scheme of things, they're no big deal. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, that's where the, the ABA school and yeah. stuff, and especially the one that we're at, you know, has been a huge, yeah. you know, um, just asset to her that she's learned so much. Yeah. She's know, learning. Being around other kids. Yeah. And, and just and, life skills, like brushing yeah. your teeth and just the communication piece has been huge just because I've always been, I've been so scared as, as she gets older that she's not going to be able to communicate with us and just get frustrated Yeah, and frustrated, you know, for us too. Um, so we, she has an autism diagnosis on top of everything. So, um, we made the decision to send her to an ABA school. She goes, she goes there 40 hours a week, Monday through Friday and has a therapist that works with her one-on-one. And they have just been, it's been, it's truly been like a lifesaver for her. Um, because it has, it's just, it's helped her in so many ways and it's helped all of us. I feel like in so many ways too, because, you know, just things that are like things that are easy for typical parents, like, you know, going out to eat, like that's hard for us. Sure. And you know, she's doesn't want to sit still. (laughs) Vacations are hard because you have to think about like safety and you know, are there a bunch of, yeah. We, We did take her on one vacation, um, uh, my side and we, um, we were staying in a cabin, um, and it was, it was like we, when we went, we had to think about like, okay, like we're going to be in this cabin, like what doors, like, do I need to take like things to like, make sure all the doors are secure to make sure that, you know, she, when she's asleep at night that she can't get out, right. you know, yeah. she roams and everything. And yeah, she's too big for like a pack and play. Cause yeah. I remember, t- I mean, traveling with her when she was smaller, it's like, we could just put a pack and play in the hotel room and she would sleep yeah. in that. But now it's like what it is. It's, it's, and it's still hard. And I, st- like, I still like, we went to the zoo, um, this summer and it's like, I still kind of get anxious doing that. Cause sure. it's like, what if, what if something happens or what if, you know, making sure that we have everything that we need because, you know, do we have G-tube supplies? What if her G-tube comes yeah. out and I need to put that back in and where am I going to do that at? And yeah. just, it is, it's like a constant trying to troubleshoot yeah. <laughs> and be like two steps ahead of everything. And I'm sure there's, there's a balance of trying to be protective, prepared, safe, healthy as possible right. while also trying to determine that that this medical diagnosis isn't going to define her life right, right. and we're still going to give her the life of being a right. kid and experiencing right. um, life as a family and right. do all those things that that has to be a really difficult uh, balance to try to find. Yeah. Um, well, I want to shift gears a little bit and yeah. normally I do this up front. Um, Julia, why don't you introduce us to Ruby and tell us, um, introduce us to her and all of the people that are important in her life. Yeah. So Ruby is just full of energy. She is so happy. She's just happy all the time. Um, And I feel like a lot of people describe her as a light. She just kind of lights up the space and um, lights up everybody's, you know, heart when she's around them. but she has um, her dad in her life. She has her stepdad in her life, her stepmom, her big brother, Wesley, and then her um, little sister, Willow, in her life. And she's got great supportive grandparents on both sides of her family and then um, aunts and uncles. And she's just a really, she's a lucky kiddo to have such a great support system. But she's definitely, we're the lucky ones. <laughs> She's, she's well-loved yes. and she seems yes. to love well. Yes, for sure. Uh, but, yeah. 
little sister Willow, who is three and a half, told me that she shares well. Yes. Yes. Which is a pretty big compliment of any sibling, I would say. Yes. Um, Eric, how would you describe um, Ruby's personality? Um, I would say that she's very adventurous, um, that I've tried not to shield her a lot. Um, and again, I want her to play and experience and stuff. And so I've always, with all three kids, played very roughly. Um, and so she loves to do that. So she loves to jump and um, anything that kind of gives a little bit of an adrenaline rush. I think that she really enjoys, um, you know, jumping on a trampoline and all kinds of stuff that she just, she loves to be kind of adventurous um and run and play and um she just loves anything that gets a reaction out of people um that she does this thing where she just like opens her mouth like she's super surprised because she wants you to do that um that she just loves interacting with people um you know so um like julia said that she just she has a very big support system that i think people just really connect with her mm -hmm. um that even though she doesn't you know, communicate and talk that she just has this connection with people. Yeah. What's the best part of being her dad? It's hard. Um, I think that just that she, you know, loves unconditionally. Um, that she, um, you know, every time I pick her up from her mom's house, or pick her up from school. Um, you know, she's just, you know, overly happy to see me. Um, but I just love just taking care of her and, um, you know, experiencing things with her. Um, she's just taught us a lot. So, um, you know, it just, it makes your world completely different when you have, you know, somebody like her, um, you know, it, it just changes you as a person. Um, so that's been kind of the biggest reward for myself, I think. <laughs> Julia, what about you? What's your favorite part of being yeah. Ruby's mom? Um, I think just seeing her experience new things in her way has been really exciting. I mean, she, um, we don't really call them milestones anymore. We call them inch stones. <laughs> um, just seeing her learn how to do something in a, you know, might not be how, you know, her brother learned to do it or how her sister does it, you know, but it's her way of, of doing it and being so excited, her being so excited to show us that she's learned something new. Yeah. Um, she loves an audience and, um, there was, and just, you know, wanting us, she'll, she'll sign. She wants us to cheer, which is, you know, just to clap for her. And, um, that's my favorite part is just seeing her learn and experience new yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Eric made the comment that she's, she teach, she's a teacher. She for teaches. Sure. For what sure. have you learned from her? Oh my gosh. Patience. <laughs> 
um, for sure patience. Um, I've learned not to really sweat the small stuff, things that I feel like used before Ruby, I feel like things that used to, I thought were a big deal or like no big deal now. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, and what Eric said too, she changes you as a person. I'm a completely different person now than before Ruby was in my life. And I think for the better, for everybody, you know? I think I'm a better mom to Wesley because of Ruby. And I'm grateful for that. Um, and I think, you know, Eric and I both are, you know, better co-parents because of her. And we have to communicate probably more than the, you know, average, um, you know, co-parents. And I think that um, putting her, you know, interest first has always been kind of, you know, that's kind of been our like core um our core thing that we kind of have worked through and, um, <laughs> yeah, good job, Ruby. <laughs> uh, well, you mentioned that your, your co-parenting and, um, divorce is tough for anybody that yeah. goes through it. It's tough when you have kids and from, um, everything that we've learned in talking to families with kids on rare medical journeys, life transitions, changes, everyday life is mm -hmm. becomes more complicated. Just dealing with the extras and the planning and the unknowns. And so I'm assuming that divorce isn't any different than that, that it becomes extra, uh, just one more layer of challenge right. to work through. And right. you all have seemed to, um, like you said, you've, you've communicated better. You've learned how to do this and keep Ruby's best interests um, as well as all the kids, yeah. um, front and center. And I'm curious, um, how you've gone about that, that you might be willing to share, um, that other families that might find themselves in a similar position, um, that, you know, maybe they could yeah. take something from. Um, I mean, I think like, it, yeah, like at the core of it, we both have always been in agreement that it's like, you know, whatever the kids need, that's most important. And I think that we have been fortunate that there really have not been a whole lot of things in regards to any of the kids that we just don't really agree on. I think we're respectful of each other's, you know, opinions if there is a difference in opinion, but I think we always have been good about coming together to, okay, what's going to be the better solution? Um, I mean, I think there's times that we've been real angry with each other, <laughs> but I think it's just, we have to kind of put that aside and realize it's not about us. And, um, I think over time, things have just, I think things have gotten easier. Um, and I think the longer that we've kind of been on this like journey together, I think too, we've kind of figured out what works and what doesn't work. And, um, and we both have supportive partners in our lives that, um, you know, are, cause it is a lot to have to be, I mean, I can't speak for Eric, but it's like, it's a lot to, it's scary when you're trying to, you know, find a partner that are they going to accept all this? Yeah. You know, and I'm very fortunate that from, you know, the beginning, Jason said, you know, I know Ruby's going to live with us for the rest of our life. And that's awesome. You know, and I think that that would be, it's hard. It's scary to try to find somebody that is going to be willing to accept all of that. And, um, I'm grateful that, that, you know, I found that in him and, you know, the connection that they have together is just, 
incredible and um the connection that he and Wesley have together is is great and um it is he does you know when I'm I work night shift at the hospital so it's like when I'm at work you know he's taking care of things and getting her you know g-tube feedings and meds and um getting her off to school and 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 doing all that stuff so it is I think it has been helpful that um you know we both do have supportive partners in our lives and you know everybody works together towards the common yeah. goal you know it takes yeah. a village <laughs> yeah and sure. we don't you know we are kind of we're kind of, we're kind of on an island here where um all both of our families are very supportive but they don't live here mm. super close um so we kind of have to rely on each other and i think from the beginning we've kind of told each other that that you know we do have to rely on each other for for help um you know, and I think also a lot of the experiences that we have been through with her medically, it's like we both kind of, you said to me before, you're like, you know, you're the only person that knows what it's like to open her door and not know if what's, what we're going to find, you know? Like we've had those conversations before and I think that that kind of is a, you know, something that we can kind of bond over. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that really kind of, that that kind of seriousness of, of stuff kind of wakes you up to the fact that like you know you know just bickering over little things it's like it's not you have important. a much a much larger common purpose right right yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah eric is there anything that you would add to kind of that dynamic and how you've been able to keep ruby's care um front and center yeah i mean i think it's like the think getting over the humility of it all, like just and trying to separate yourself that, you know, it was, you know, our problems were our problems. It wasn't Ruby's problem, mm -hmm. you know? And so, you know, the divorce had nothing to do with Ruby or Wes or, or anything like that. So, you know, so it's just, it, it took some time. I mean, the like the first year to two years, I mean, it was, you know, there was a lot of just, you know, wordless drop-offs and pickups and stuff like that, that it was just like, you know, tell me what I need to know. Has anything changed? Anything that, you know, did anything go wrong this, you know, you know, this visit or whatever? Um, you know, and we always agreed on 50-50, like, you know, neither of us are moving away anywhere far. You know, we've stayed, you know, close to make it super, super easy, um, you know, because I want to see the kids I you know I want to have them that's that's not why you know we separated and so um you know so it 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 was hard I think at first to like you know separate those issues but it was just took some time to just say like okay like this is over now like this is you know we don't need to bring that into you know the care for the kids and so you know we've been able to you know, kind of come to peace, I think, with everything. And it's just, it's just coming to terms with that, I think it was the hardest part was just like, in order to do the best thing for, you know, for her, you know, is to just, you know, is just separate those two issues and, yeah. and, and kind of get past it. Um, and again, it just, it took time, but it was just that willingness to be like, okay. And, you know, I think we finally even, you know, we spent, an entire day, you know, during her last, um, uh, cardiology, uh, procedure, um, 
because it was still kind of during COVID and everything. And so only people at the hospital were that were allowed to be there were us. And we had to stay in our own little pod too. We couldn't, you know, uh, they assigned us a little sitting section that we could wait in. And so, you know, we spent an entire day sitting together um, with nobody but our, ourselves, you know, each other to talk to. Um, and I think even at that point, like we kind of both kind of apologized to each other and kind of, you know, we were like, I think we're finally in a good place. Like, you know, we both, you know, had supported partners and, you know, we've just kind of moved on. And, and so, you know, it's just kind of getting to that point of like, stop being angry at each other and just yeah I think that's what it was I think it. yeah for the first couple of years I think we were just both angry and had hurt feelings and you know I think that it just took time <laughs> yeah sure yeah. and that's but understandable yeah. I mean, that makes yeah. perfect sense yeah and I just, you know if, you know that's just kind of the hardest step I think was just being able to say that and just being able to just kind of you know acknowledge what had happened and just kind of let go of the anger and just focus on the kids and to the point where now we can you know, you know, we can have those conversations and we can, you know, easily then, you know, coordinate, you know, our schedules and stuff. It's not a battle of, you know, your time versus my time and stuff like that. It's, it's a very even schedule. Um, you know, and we've, um, you know, Jen and I bought our house, you know, in the same, you know, we're in the same school district, you know, so Wes has been able to ride the bus to or from either house. Um, and he kind of has free reign to do that too, that, you know, he can get on the bus at our house, he can get off the bus mm -hmm. at mom's house, you know, whatever. And then, you know, her ABA school is 10 minutes from both of our houses. Um, you know, so we're, we're just, we've stayed very, very close um, in order to make all that stuff just very fluid because yeah. um, that's just been very important to us that it's, you know, that transition between houses is super easy. Yeah. Um, you know, and that we, we both get our time and, um, you know, but even just respecting each other's time, I think, you know, we've been very good about, you know, I think one of the benefits to us, you know, uh, being separated is that, you know, you almost have that built-in respite time that it's, you know, that other people don't, don't get, um, you know, and, and, you know, hopefully they have family around or like, you know, but like Julia said that we don't have, you know, our family that are just, hey, can you pick up from school or whatever? Like we don't have that resource. It's, it's you know, it's the four of us. It's, yeah. you know, that, you know, if I'm supposed to be picking up, but if I can't, then, yeah. you know, I can call Jen and Jen goes over and picks up. Yeah. Um, or you can call but, Jason and he comes, you know right. what I mean? Like the four so of us can all kind of work together. You know, and Somebody's always out. around to make sure yeah. it gets done, but we are able to go on vacation. We're able to, you know, take care of, you know, Ruby or, uh, you know, any other, you know, child with, with special needs is, is exhausting. It's, you know, there's just a lot of things mentally that it takes, you know, sure. and, and so having that built in, I think has, has really saved us too, that we yeah. both, our stress levels can be down a little bit more because we're not on 24 seven right. either, right. is that we have a trusting, you know, partner that we can, you know, cause even giving, you know, handing them over, you know, to grandma or grandpa, you know, they kind of know what to do sometimes, but, um, you know, but that's, you never, I don't think feel as comfortable as you do with another parent. Sure. Yeah. So, cause they're not doing it all the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So, you know, 
for somebody to be able to to leave on vacation and for them to be able to have a relaxing week mm-hmm. you know because yeah. even taking her on vacation right. I mean, then you're yeah you know that's added stress yeah it's right. added it's stress to a vacation sure. yeah. so, it's not a vacation yeah. right yeah. Um, so being able to have those family vacations but also being able to have those individual vacations where we can yeah. you know you know, we know that she's well taken care of, that I think that has really helped too with bringing our, you know, keeping our stress under control. Yeah. Um, that it makes our, our schedules very well. I can't imagine walking away and saying that I didn't want, you know, her, you know, or it was too much for me. Um, you know, so I think one, you just have to be willing to take on that challenge to begin with that, you know, hopefully you know, they're not walking away because they can't handle the situation as a whole. Um, you know, that's kind of the first step that if you just really just don't feel like you can handle that situation, you don't feel like you can take care of a special needs child, you know, again, there has to be that trust. And, you know, I hope I demonstrated that I, you know, was capable and, and, you know, wanted to be there, wanted to be at the, the doctor's appointments and everything as awkward as it may have been to be sitting in a, you know, in a doctor's office room, sitting there, you know, by ourselves for a little while, you know, um, I did it. And it was, you know, we, we came to terms with that to make sure that we were both well-informed. Um, you know, so it's just having that willingness to participate. Um, but aside from that, I think it, the one thing that I wish would have happened earlier on was just having a lot more open conversations. Yeah. Um, you know, again, just to be able to, as hard as it may have been to have those conversations, um, but just being more open to having those conversations of like, you know, you know, why things were happening or what decisions were being made and whatever, um, you know, apologizing or whatever it is, but trying to get past that anger um, and letting that go as, as fast as possible. Um, you know, again, it's easy to look back at that and be like, okay, but you know, it took us a while to both get into a place where we, you know, we were happy again in our own lives to be able to come back together and be happy for each other. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so, um, so it does, it just, it just takes time. Yeah. But it's just again trying to not make those issues into the kids' issues, yeah. um, or making it harder for for them, yeah. um, and just being open to having those conversations. Yeah, yeah. Julie, what about you? For a, a yeah. mom that finds herself in a similar position, yeah, I think, and I am kind of kind of piggyback off of that. I think being able to have those hard conversations. I think for a long time, like I was really angry, and. I had, I mean, in a span of like a year, I had a new baby with all these health concerns. And then, you know, we had gotten divorced like about a year after she was born. So it was like my whole life had kind of been turned upside down. And, you know, initially it wasn't something that, you know, I was seeking. So I think being able to kind of like reach out to have those conversations with him that I, you know, I think if I would have put myself out there more to to have those conversations with him to kind of understand why things happened the way they did. Um, I think I would have been less, I would have gotten over some of that anger and, you know, hurt a little sooner. And then we would have been able to, you know, kind of, it, ma- it makes me, it kind of makes me sad that like we did spend all that time that we just 
you know, weren't communicating or were just angry with each other. And, you know, I'm sure that, you know, Wesley saw that and I feel terrible about, you know, about that. And it's like, that's not anything that I want him to see. And I think he, I mean, and he's even said, like, he just is so happy that like, you know, he is so grateful that he has, you know, these, you know, two parts of his family because, you know, he said he gets, you know, different, different things from different, you know, different pieces of his, of each family. And, um, and I'm sure, you know, it's less awkward and uncomfortable for him when we can all be around each other, you know? Um, but yeah, I think just kind of putting your pride aside and like trying to have those hard conversations initially to kind of work through things to, and yeah, and like, you know, forgive and apologize and, and just kind of move forward and realize that, you know, the kids are, kids are what's most important. And I think I'm, I'm happier because I did let that, you know, got to the point to let all that go. Um, and, you know, we, yeah, we both are, I feel like happy and successful in our own, you know, individual situations now. And I'm, I'm so grateful that, you know, that Eric is in their life and he is a fantastic dad. And I'm so grateful that, you know, he's provided them with everything that he's been able to provide for them. And I think that, you know, we're both very, to use the word blessed, you know, I mean, we're both very blessed that we have, um, you know, found ourselves in the situations that we are in with supportive partners. And I, you know, I feel comfortable, you know, if Eric's at work and Jen's home with all three kids, like I feel so comfortable, you know, and secure in her abilities to, you know, take care of what needs to be taken care of. And, um, and I, you know, I hope Eric feels the same way when, you know, when, it, when Jason's here and I just, um, yeah, sorry, long-winded, but just, oh, no. oh, that's great. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just think, yeah, the communication thing and I think just kind of putting your pride aside. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it yeah, is, it's, it's, not, hard. it's hard. Yeah. I'm divorce is hard. The, <laughs> the small stuff again, it's like he, you know, one, you know, the kids come back and, and something seems off or she's got a diaper rash or something. And yeah. it was like, it was like kind of that constant, like, yeah. you know, you know, Oh, what did you do? Right. Like, you know, and then, so it was kind of using that, you know, anger and right. stuff. And, and again, it's just kind of taking us some time to just kind of get past that, right. you know, of just yeah. being like, Hey, things, things happen. These are kids, yeah. like, you know, and you know, just yeah. like and anybody else. And <clears throat> yeah. You know. Recognizing that the other person actually really does have right. the same love, the same right. best interests right. and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're not, right. They're not sitting around, not being tended to <laughs> right. or being ignored or whatever, right. you know, right. it's, yeah. it's, it is, it's, we know that we were, each of us has been doing our best, you know, at all times. And yeah. so it's just getting rid of all that small stuff of not trying to use them, you know, as weapons of anger yeah. or anything yeah. jabs at each other back and forth. Of, yeah. You know, why does she have this bruise? Why does she, you know, she, you know, with her, her, you know, all of her other conditions and stuff. I mean, she bruises like a peach and she like, so she has bruises all the time, but so it's just one of those things of just like, we know that like, yeah, now, and yeah. it's like, it's not like somebody wasn't watching her right. or somebody wasn't doing what they were supposed to be doing or whatever. It's just, yeah. you know, accepting the whole situation as it yeah. is. At Go Shout Love, we do amazing things for amazing families with kids on rare medical journeys. Each month we shout love for families through the sale of creative apparel inspired by the kids. This month's Stay Curious design is inspired by Oren, Ruby, and Stella. Three amazing kids who are always up for an adventure and shine a bright light wherever they go. 
Every purchase in January will help with the cost of adaptive bicycles for Ruby and Stella and a special trip for Oren and his family. Visit our website at goshout.love to support these three amazing kids through the purchase of a t-shirt, hat, sweatshirt, hoodie, or other items.